The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hey, listeners, I got a few bonus for you right here. Stay tuned to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt, or else... Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 256. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, May 25th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not sending death threats to my favorite comic creators, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com. And my name is Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not getting deeply offended by every comic I read, I am trying to relive my glory days as the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. In this week's episode, you're going to hear our complete analysis of DC Rebirth number one. After that, we're going to review ten more of this week's comics before they get reboot, birth, or launched, whatever, during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be worshipping at the altar of naked blue Jennifer Lawrence and rapping about our must-read picks for next week's comics. And finally... The Orca returns from the sea to tell you how to sell your comics and take the money and run. But before we start work on our Sansa Stark Wolverine team-up fan fiction, let's get ready to jerk our knees while we talk about this week's Big This week, Comixology announced a new Netflix-style service called Comixology Unlimited, which will offer unlimited reading of a select library of its titles. So sort of unlimited. Almost unlimited. Kind of unlimited. <laughs> for five ninety nine a month. The flat rate service boasts, quote, thousands of digital comics, graphic novels, and manga. I wish they would quote some digital comics, graphic novels, and manga. With comic books from Image, IDW, Dark Horse, and others, but of course, neither DC nor Marvel have titles as part of the service. Quote, it sounds silly, but our mission is to make everyone on the planet a comics fan. That's really hard to do by just throwing them into the middle of 100,000 comic books, says Comixology CEO David Steinberger. He sounds like someone who owns a Major League Baseball team, right? Yeah, he does. This was in an interview with Entertainment Weekly. He continued saying, quote, It's a lot easier if people have a very low-risk opportunity to discover comics for themselves and just really take their time with the catalog. I feel like their heart's in the right place here. Well, we're going to get to that. Comixology Unlimited just shows up. uh, Once you update your app, it will show up as a tab on the app. And the service will not affect the regular digital comics that you buy through the normal service a la carte. Steinberger said that Comixology Unlimited will change over time, adding to the library with some titles leaving and new titles joining. So it is very Netflix. Yes, but here's what has come out since they've launched this thing. Okay. The reports are very underwhelming. Uh, apparently, it's mostly just volume ones and first issues and stuff like that. So if you're going in, if you're going in thinking, oh man, I pay ten bucks a month to Netflix and I can go binge watch Parks and Rec right. whenever I want, the whole series, right, or all of Buffy, or whatever. yeah, exactly. Uh, you'll show up to Comicsology Unlimited with your five ninety nine a month, and you'll get to read Walking Dead Volume One, 
or Wicked and Divine Volume 1. Well, I mean, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And I don't think it's being geared to you and I. And like what they said, they, they want to make everyone a comic book fan. Sure. So it's not a bad way. But what it's for what someone it sounds like, like to me is not necessarily an all you want, you know, buffet of comics. Sure. It's a here's a sampler got, of our most popular books from all these different publishers. I'm saying cut them some slack because Netflix probably started out the same way, too. And it grew into something like we were just talking about. Well, and hopefully if this takes off, maybe from there, then you can go and binge read all of our man or binge read. All of Millie the Model or whatever, you know. But here's where all that slack you just gave them gets yanked back. Because apparently there are creators out there that had no idea that their work was even being included. That doesn't shock me at all. That's bad. (laughs) That's not okay. That doesn't shock me at all. The day the news broke, when Comixology did this thing and they launched the app, Twitter was just a flood with... Am I getting paid for this? With tweets from like Kieran Gillen to at... Uh, Gabriel Hardman or whatever. Right. Hey, uh, did you get an email from Comixology? Because I didn't get an email from Comixology. And a lot of that back and forth. And so it looks like what they did That's is... That's shady stuff. They talked to publishers, but not creators. Of course. So they talked to Image, and of course Image was like, yeah. Well, they here's didn't. what happens. Kieran Gillen talks to Image, says, I want to publish Wicked and Divine through you. Wicked, and they go, we love this book. We'll publish it. And then they go, we'll have our digital guys handle the digital rights. And then Comixology comes to the digital guys and goes, we want to do this. And the digital guys go, that's what we do. Do it. And then, <laughs> you know, and then when it, I'll bet even there were people at Image. They were like, dude, I didn't know it was going to be like this. I apologize. Maybe. I don't know. I The same thing happens with music rights a lot. Sure, I will say, where sure, sure. You don't always know until after it's happening that someone's using your stuff. I had some friends in a band called Cursive who were watching Monday Night Football one night, and as they went to commercial, a Cursive song came on, and they all looked at each other and went, what the hell? <laughs> it was bizarre. Uh, you know, this stuff happens. I'm not saying it's a good thing, and it probably could have been handled better. And hopefully, they'll retroactively go, oh, yeah, sorry. Let's, let's work these kinks out. You're getting paid for it. But I do think the idea is good, and their heart is in the right place. Joey, the highly anticipated Preacher TV series from Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg hit AMC last week. Starring Dominic Cooper as Jesse Custer, Ruth Nega as Tulip, and Joseph Gilgan as Cassidy. Get ready for our THN. Spoiler-free first impressions of the first episode, loosely adapted from the Vertigo series by Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon. Very loosely adapted. Loosely being the key there. What do you think, Joe? First thoughts. Right off the bat, I want to say that I liked it. I liked it too. I thought it was good. Yeah, I thought it was a fun TV show. Yes. They are definitely doing their own thing. Yeah. Just in the same way that Walking Dead is doing their own thing. Yes. There are elements of Preacher the comic that have worked their way in. Sheriff Root is there. Our Space is there. I can't believe they did Our Space. I know, right? <laughs> this was in the trailers, so I'm not going to consider it a spoiler, but there are some people attacking Cassidy. Yes. I think they must be from the Grail. I would guess. Because they use words like abomination and stuff. Yeah, but they don't ever say what it is. But yeah. I do have some qualms here and there. Like, I think that the changes they made to Jesse's motivation, they need to sell me on that. Yeah, and maybe we'll get there. Because I, I will say it might be even a little more believable that 
at first he does think this is a miracle and he is blessed with this power. Or sure. I, I mean, more specifically, it's like how everybody like when the thing turns into the thing in the last Fantastic Four movie, and he was instantly just like, this sucks. Dude couldn't take five minutes to just be a badass, indestructible rock guy, you know? Sure. It, like, punch planes out of the air or something cool. You know, I don't know. <laughs> nah, I mean, more specifically, like in the comic. Yes. I know. I know where you're getting. Jesse is kind of forced to yes. come home and, and take this role. He's very reluctant. And in the show, he does it willingly because he feels it's his duty. And that's a totally different spin on, on the character. Well, and I would also from say, the outset. as far as we know, that's his motivation. Well, he kind of comes right out and says it. Yeah, I guess. And so there, there are differences, and I'm not so concerned about like about it hitting the main story beats as I am about it maintaining the feel of Preacher and the right. feel of the characters. Like, I thought they nailed Cassidy. Oh, my God, yes. He was amazing. He was perfect. I, I loved Tulip, too. I liked Tulip a lot, but though she, she was, did seem different to me. She was very different. She wasn't exactly a terrorist <laughs> in, yeah, the, right. in the comic book. <laughs> uh, but I thought she was great in the show. She was great, and Ruth Nega does an amazing job. Wonderful choice of actress, too. Yes. She's, like, just rough enough to be cute, but still look like a badass, which reminds me of Tulip. They never right. drew Tulip like a, a lingerie model. Like, Tulip was kind of rough. Yeah, right. And I love Dominic Cooper, and I think he's uh, a great fit for the role. Yeah. I just wish that Jesse specifically was a little bit more close to the comic personality-wise. I suppose. I mean, we'll get but there. But it's been one episode. Right. And we're not even going to get another one until a week from Sunday because oh, um, that's right. they're doing the replay. Yeah. But I liked it. I, I liked it, too. I, I was expecting was a, an awful mess, and w- it was not an awful mess. I will say, Casey watched it with me. She has never read Preacher, and after it was done, she was like, what in the f*** was that about? <laughs> yeah. And I was yelling at her the whole time, and she tweeted that I was abusing her. But so I saw that, yeah. Good Lord. Yeah, the whole Good internet Lord. saw your abuse. <laughs> but high hopes. It's very stylish. Pleasantly very surprised. I thought tonally it matched. Yeah. Uh, you know, they did the whole thing with, like, the Willie Nelson uh, it was the time of the preacher. Yeah. That's like literally the first line of the first page of yeah. preacher number one. The feel is definitely there. The guy they got to play hair star. Oh, man, he looks great. <laughs> I don't know if that was hair star. I, it's got to be. He's got the nose. He's tall. He's like, it, okay, let's make a nerd bet on this. All right. Nerd bet. There's a character that they show you at the end. Uh, sinister in some way. Well, they showed him and his partner throughout the series. Yeah, okay, right. Investigating things. Matt thinks it was Hairstar, the yes. leader of the Grail. I don't think so. I think it is the Angels. Okay, it's up in the forums. Nerd bet is on. We'll see from here. I'm excited. When the dealing's done, you got. Finally, Mark Miller is prepping a new Hit Girl series. Oh, thank God. I know. <laughs> Written by another writer. Okay. This new series was originally teased in October with an unnamed, quote, superstar creative team. <laughs> sort of like a dancing with the stars. Oh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> we'll see. That, that team was supposed to be named back in January, but Miller now says that the artist dropped out of the project because he was sadly locked into his contract longer than he thought. <laughs> this prompted Miller to make a bold offer on the Miller World Forum's Quote, I'm not a fellow to beat around the bush. We're going to launch a big Hit Girl series later in the year and have a spectacular writer. But the artist we had in mind is sadly locked into his contract longer than he thought. And I want to get someone equally great. End quote. Why did they quote that same sentence twice in the same story? I don't know. Better question. Why did you write them both? (laughs) 
I just cut and paste this shit, man. Come on. Instead of messing around emailing people privately, I thought I'd just do a big shout out right now to the comic book community. We're looking for someone truly great for this. Someone who can really handle a monthly deadline. We'll be publishing around eight issues a year, two four-issue arcs. And I'd like to get them started around four weeks from now, as all the scripts are being readied. Payment is $10,000 an issue for black and white art and a generous royalty package for monthly books and trades. Note, this is four or five times Marvel or DC starter rates. Jesus, at least. And twice what most of their artists are getting paid. So I'm expecting someone who already has a big body of work and experience. That said, I am always excited at finding new talent. Please post any samples below, but these must be restricted to one sequential page here, or they will be deleted. Blah, blah, blah. You don't need to know that. So Mark Millar has just thrown blood in the water to see what sharks show up. It's it's weird. In typical Millar fashion. Right. He's making it a three-ring circus. (laughs) Since Hit Girl is jointly owned by Miller and artist John Romita Jr., this project will be strictly work for hire. And it has been confirmed that the Hit Girl series is not the mystery project that Miller is working on with former Batman artist Greg Capullo. Good God. What a weird ass way to do this. So (laughs) let me ask you a question. If you are a quote unquote big name comic book artist with a large body of work. Sure. Capable of producing monthly comics whose name sells books. Yeah. Worth the 10 grand plus royalties per issue. Nuts. How would you feel... If instead of being contacted by somebody that wants to work with you, they essentially made you jump through a bunch of hoops like you saw in a classified ad. Yeah. Like Arthur Adams is going to show up and be like, well, hey, uh, can we talk? And be like, I don't know, man. You have to fight with all the other dorks first. You know, like, really? (laughs) I do? (laughs) It's like, better question. Why can't Mark Millar just call this person? Right. He has to have someone in mind that you can be like, hey, Travis Cherist. Sure. What are you or doing, whatever. Man? You want to make some solid Chris cash? Somney, or, I don't know. Hey, buddy who's been in some financial trouble who's very talented and needs some help. I'm going to give you $10,000 an issue to do this. Sure. I mean, come on, man. That's 80 grand a year if you're doing eight issues. It's like if you are reading the Sunday paper and you get to the job section right. and you see an ad for help wanted CEO of Oracle. Right. <laughs> it's like, no. President of Major League Baseball. That's you know? not like, where these things are found. Right. <laughs> I will say it is an interesting way to do it. And- Who gives a about hit girl though i mean yeah. let's be honest do you care i no i haven't i didn't even read kick-ass 2 if mark millar is willing to oh. pay ten thousand bucks an issue though he obviously cares i think those books make so much money matt Apparently, i think they make a ton of money i guess it could be all residual movie money i don't know well, but there's certainly not that much cash in one issue of any i don't care if it's hit girl or kick-ass there's no way there's no way each kick-ass well, trade sales as well are factored in no way kick-ass sales have gone down steadily since the first movie nobody cared about the second movie even. i don't know i mean he's got a business model and he obviously knows what to do and how it works but this is the whole thing i find very puzzling mark millar's circus and we're all just watching i guess it's like he's wearing that top hat with a spinny wheel on it like the ringmaster totally totally (laughs) 
That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything you think we missed, hit us up on the big news section of the THN forums where we've posted video of our hit girl BDSM cosplay night. She's underage, you maniac. Where Joe dresses up like Big Daddy and gives our naughty girl love slaves a good old-fashioned spanking. We don't have any female love slaves. I know. Oh, God. Every Sunday, the Ziggurat's Lord of Discipline, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week at the coolest place on the internet, baby. The THN Forums. Joey, what are we asking these nerds this week? This week's question comes from D. Murray, who asks, quote, If you could recommend just one definitive story, be it a single issue, a miniseries, a creator's run, or an event, for someone to read, what would it be? Now, Imagine that person has a four-hour flight. They have time to kill, and you can give them the entire thing to read in one shot. So we're not saying, hey, sit down with the entire run of Chris Claremont's X-Men. Right. We're saying this is... A one story. Everything wonderful about this creator or this character or this story, in my opinion, boiled down into something that you can read in one sitting or a few sittings. Right. What would it be? Let's say four hours. Let's say it's like theoretically something you can read in four hours. I like that question. Yeah, that's fun. Makes you think. Really? I'm going to have to dig deep, man. Yeah, because I can't just say Starman. No way. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, June 3rd. To get us your answer, you can call the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894, and leave a message. If you're not too busy just heading around the world reading comics, you can send us an MP3. That goes to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Whatever you choose, keep it under two minutes. You will get cut off. It's two. Not up to three minutes. No, no. Two <laughs> minutes. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums and then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. It's our listener participation Woo! show. It's the best show on the internet. You, we love it. You love it. You'd love it. Tell me a story. Mr. It is review time in the Ziggurat and this week... Joe and I are going to tag team the most important DC comic. We're going to double team the most important DC of the last five years. DC Rebirth number one. Now, normally we'd steer clear of spoilers, but this one, it's just too big not to unpack. We got to do it. So let's take it panel by panel, page by page, and see if we can figure out the future of the rebirthed DCU. Now, for those keeping track, we are now officially in the afterbirth. We were pre-birth. Well, rebirth came out this week. I would week. say next Wednesday we'll be in the afterbirth. No, it's all afterbirth now. <laughs> We've been rebirthed. <laughs> this is DC Rebirth number one from DC, written by Jeff Johns, with art by Ethan Van Skyver, Gary Frank, and Ivan Rice. And Phil Jimenez. Oh, that's right. Phil Jimenez was in there. 80 pages for the low, low price of two ninety nine. Now, Joey... Just as we learned in the DC Rebirth panel we covered a few months ago, the story starts here with a new yellow outlined bat symbol Batman in his cave. Wally West has been trapped in the Speed Force for at least five years, and it's no secret that it's Wally, so live with it. Yeah, but it takes a few pages to get there. I suppose. Before Wally even shows up, and this would be a product of what happens in the Dark Side War. Right. In the Dark Side War, Batman has, he gains the powers of Metron, and he sits on the chair. Right. And he asks the Mobius chair to tell him the Joker's real name. Right. And all we see at first is Batman, like, hearing the ping, 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 ping. And then it goes, Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, well, that was obvious. <laughs> and what they've revealed in the at the end of Dark Side War and what Batman is investigating when Wally shows up in the Batcave, there's not one Joker, there are three Jokers. Yeah. What the heck? And one looks like Alan Moore's Joker. One one looks like the Killing Joke Joker. Right. The 80s Joker. One is the Craig, Greg Capullo Joker, and one is the, like, I would say the 60s, 70s right. kind of Marshall Rogers-ish Joker, the Laughing Fish Joker. And this probably goes hand in hand with the fact that there's two different Supermans running around, too. Well, the two different Supermen are definitely from clearly defined right. separate realities, so... Where these three Jokers come from... We'll get to that in a minute. ...is anyone's guess. Wally appears in the Batcave, tries to get Batman to recognize him, gives him the warning about the letter, and then bounces out of there because he's not in control. Batman doesn't know who he is. Wally is searching for a tether. He's kind of lost in the Speed Force, and he's searching for somebody that remembers him to pull him back into the real world. And so we, we see the origin of Wally and the past history of the DC Universe that has been lost... The original Teen Titans, the Superman with the trunks, the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right. We see all of that stuff. Even even the original death of Barry Allen and Wally taking up the Flash, meeting his wife, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so from there, we learn that while Barry's actions did trigger the Flashpoint, when the Flashpoint was undone and the New 52 was created... Someone else is behind it. An outside force manipulated events to cause it to happen. Right. Skeletor. Skeletor. I, that's my Def- theory. It's definitely Skeletor. It's Skeletor. Could be Hordak, probably Skeletor. Okay, so from there, we flash to old man Johnny Thunder in an old folks home. Yeah. And they now, think he's crazy. This is the first time we've seen... This is the very first mention. Or seen a mention of any of the original Justice Society characters in the last five years. Which is hinting at the fact that they are there, but they have no memory of who they were. Very similar to what's been going on with the Titans in Titans Hunt. Just like the Sentry. The Sentry was the most powerful character in the Marvel U. He was too dangerous to live. They made him forget who he was and made everybody else forget to. Yep. Exactly right. And Wally appears to Johnny Thunder... And he says, you know, Johnny, you have to find the Justice Society. Find the Justice Society. And he is interrupted when the orderlies break the door down. Wally vanishes again. And then after Wally disappears, Johnny starts he starts shouting the magic word to summon the Thunderbolt. See you? Uh, say you is how it was say always you? pronounced. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, of course, nothing happens and the orderlies take him away. Presumably to his death. <laughs> yeah, they're going to turn him into protein for all the other old people, right? Okay, from there, things get really weird. Really yes. weird. The next scene is a uh, it's a police station, and there is a woman being held by the police that just kind of showed up out of the blue. and A blonde woman. They arrested her for trying to steal food, because where she comes from, food is free. Which would be... Where, what we find out is that she uh, was carrying a flight ring from the Legion of Superheroes, so she is from the far future. She also says she knows the future. She knows, and she knows Superman. She came to speak to Superman. Is this Dream Girl? It's Saturn Girl. Saturn clearly. Girl. Okay. Saturn Girl has blonde hair. I don't know. And she was the founding member of the Legion. Okay. And the, they tell her, well, Super. I don't know if you've heard, Superman's missing in action. Yeah, and she says... Dead. Yeah, he's died before. Everything will be all right. Yeah, yeah. And she basically <laughs> says, I know, but I need to talk to him. Like, right. just like, whatever. Doesn't matter. She knows something. Yeah. I mean, she. It's this is all history to her. Right. And, but this would also be the first time we have seen the Legion no. as we know them. Well, the Legion had its own book in the New 52. Yeah, but it wasn't like... Yeah, it was. It was, was it? very similar. Okay. All right. But it just, I mean... It just wasn't good. Right. <laughs> and it got canceled very early, so yeah. it's been a while. 
But I feel like this is probably a return to the traditional Legion. Yeah. I would go as so far as to say this is probably the Legion that John's worked so hard to reintroduce in his run on Action Comics. Yes, I think so too. Edit his note. That was in Action Comics number 858 through 863. Even drawn by the same artist, Gary right. Frank. That's all we get from those two. Those right. are just teases. Those two books, Justice Society and Legion of Superheroes, DC said these concepts are coming back, but they did not get new books announced. Right. They want to do a right or whatever. So right. we'll see. From there we go to Ryan Choi. Previously murdered by Deathstroke and yep. put into a matchbox. Not anymore. He's yeah. feeling much better now. <laughs> Ryan Choi is getting yelled at by one of the professors at whatever college he's at that they can't find Ray Palmer. He's supposed to be teaching his classes. He runs back to Mr. Palmer's office. Ivy University. Right. Where Ray has a video message left for him that basically says, here's the thing. If you're hearing this, I'm in big trouble. And you got to put on the size belt. And you got to come help me. I've got another size belt just for you. You're going to go to the microverse. No copyright on that term, I guess. I guess not. <laughs> that was my next question. First mention of the microverse in DCU? Um, I don't know. I, I Maybe. I didn't read Sword of the Atom back in the day, and I don't know if that's where he was. Well, I don't know that he like went to the microverse in those stories. Okay. I think he just he shrunk down to the size of very tiny things. And there was stuff going and on. And it was like like the littles, right? They lived in the trees and Edit his note. He was actually in South America defending a tribe of six inch tall aliens in the nineteen eighty three Sword of the Atom series. And the Littles lived in human houses like mice. It was the Munchichis that lived in trees. I think more important is this little bit of dialogue where he says, I need you to cancel my classes for the foreseeable future. Let Jean know the alimony check will be late. Tell her I love her. The Adam's ex-wife is a woman named Jean Loring. Okay. And if you followed the previous DC Universe at all, you would know that Jean Loring went totally crazy and murdered Sue Dibney That's in the pages right. of Identity Crisis. So maybe that didn't happen. And then became Eclipso yes. and died. <laughs> whatever reality this is, whatever has happened here, there is Identity Crisis is not in continuity. Oh, yeah, I guess. Gene Loring is alive. Didn't happen. Alive and well, and the Adam is on relatively good terms with him. I didn't even pick up on that, but there it is. After that, we get a look at Jaime Reyes. He has the scarab on his back. He's still the Blue Beetle. But Ted Cord is there. Jaime did appear as the Blue Beetle. Right. In uh, the New 52, he had his own book. It got canceled after a little while. Yeah. One of the first books to go, unfortunately. Ted Cord is alive and well and seems to be his... Mentor. Mentor. He does not seem to be a superhero. No. He just seems like inventor guy. Like he made him a little bug ship, a little beetle ship. He, he, built, like, he built the bug tank. Yeah. Yeah, which is cool. In the pages of Forever Evil, if we can dare to think back to that for a second. Oh, boy. They did introduce Ted Cord into the New 52 because yes. Lex Luthor kind of threatened his dad with a, a hostile takeover. And I think Ted Cord's dad dies or something. Okay. And then Ted is there. But yeah, this is more like traditional 30-something Ted Cord. Right. Looks like he could put on that costume anytime and yeah. be a superhero. Yeah. And then... Dr. In fact, he's eager. He's like giddy about it. And then Dr. Fate shows up. Yes. And from everything that I can piece together from solicits and from 
the next issues coming out of the Dr. Fate book. Uh, this is the actual original Dr. Fate, not okay. the the new Dr. Fate that's been running around in the solo title that we've had. From there we learn, Aqualad is gay! <laughs> Hooray? That's all I really got from that scene. Was there anything else in that? We see Aqualad sitting in his... Well, I think the, the takeaway is that they are bringing back that version of Aqualad who has not been in the New 52. Oh, okay. I think Jackson Hyde is his name. They just call him Jackson, but I think his name is Jackson Hyde. All right. The son of Black Manta, who was introduced in Brightest Day. Oh, okay. I remember that now. Was he the son of Black Manta? I think he was. I think that's right. Editor's note. Jackson Hyde is Black Manta's son as revealed to him by Siren in the pages of Brightest Day number nine. Next, we see Pandora, who's running for her life from an unseen force, and she's shouting about skepticism and doubt and corruption and the loss of hope and blah, 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 blah. Quick and then reset. she gets... Quick reset. Who is Pandora? Before we go reveal what happens, who is she? Uh, Pandora first appeared in the first issues of all of the New 52 books. She was a mystery Specifically, uh, I don't remember exactly where they set her up. It, it may have been in uh, some of the lead-in issues. It was towards the end of Flashpoint. We started to see glimpses of her, I think. And they're like, who is the mystery lady? You know what? Doesn't matter. <laughs> the editor's note would be a great editor's place note. for this. Okay. <laughs> editor's note. Pandora first appeared in Flashpoint number five. Anyway, uh, Pandora is more or less the embodiment of the New 52. Yes. She ushered in the New 52 and... Here she is at the end of the New 52 where she's shouting about all this terrible stuff that's happening and what this villain has done. And then she gets exploded by an unseen hand, which is Jeff Johns just essentially giving a huge middle finger to the thing that, by the way, he helped create. Yes. So don't get too well, excited about he it. He could have been bullied. We don't know. OK, I don't know about that. From there, we go to Themyscira or Scria. Themyscira or Themyscira, the home of the Amazons. That's Some people right. call it Paradise Island. Sure. We learned some stuff that was revealed in Justice League number 50 the same week. One woman's got a twin brother. His name is Jason. Darkseid's been reborn as a baby. And the daughter of Darkseid, who was the villain of Darkseid War, is still alive. So that whole storyline is essentially a waste of time. Okay, gross. <laughs> Darkseid's daughter gave birth to Darkseid? No. Okay, so who is the lady that's holding the baby? That's Darkseid's daughter, okay. Grail. It sure looked like she just gave birth to that she kid. She did not give birth to that kid. The kid it was, was like, all messy and bloody and stuff. No, it was uh, it's Superwoman's baby. What? Superwoman's baby from Forever Evil. What? From Earth 3. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. God. It's all coming back to me now. Oh, wow. In Forever Evil, Superwoman was pregnant with a baby we didn't know. Oh, we assumed that it was either Ultraman's baby or Owlman's baby. Okay. Because she was playing above. But it's baby Darkseid. And that's really, not her. It's yeah, it was Darkseid's baby. Oh my No, it was Alexander Luthor's baby, who on Earth 3 is the only good guy. <laughs> I'm dizzy. <laughs> Look, man, it's not important. There's a baby. The baby is, is the reincarnation of Darkseid. He's got Omega Beams crackling from his little baby eyes. And Wonder Woman has a brother named Jason. He's out there. Jason of and the Argonauts fame. I guess we'll find out. Right? It's gotta be. Gotta be. Okay. I mean, there can't be more than one Jason. <laughs> we go to Superman's death from there. The new fifty two Superman died. Okay, okay. And in that scene, as the heroes are gathered around, Wally is narrating about what the New 52 has lost, uh, how relationships were kind of removed almost. Like, right. like uh, somebody reached in with a magic claw machine. He went in and went, 
dropped the claw into the bucket of characters of the new 52 and plucked out Green Arrow and Black Canary's marriage. Well, there you go. Yeah, and so... It's more believable than Satan making Spider-Man's marriage go away, I guess. <laughs> so you see Green Arrow and Black Canary kind of longing after something that they feel is missing, but they don't know what. And Wally knows what it is, and right. he's, he is explaining in this moment that the New 52 universe is the quote-unquote real DC universe, just with bits and pieces removed. Shifted. Uh, like a decade of time stolen out of it, and okay. relationships shuffled like a deck of cards. Okay. Superman's up next, and of course, this is the pre-Flashpoint Superman. Don't think about it too hard, no. because if you think nope. about how the New 52 and the old 52 are the same universe with stuff taken out of it. How can there be two Supermen? And why is there a baby that wasn't in the old one? Well, that's uh, from Convergence. You you found out in whoa, Convergence. Whoa. I'm sorry, you mean Convergence! Convergence! <laughs> you find out during Convergence that Superman and Lois of the previous universe were among the captives. That's right. And they spent a stretch of time there. Making babies. Like, Superman was depowered. Right. They were living under the dome. And she gave us birth to a son at the end of Convergence. What we found out very recently in the Lois and Clark, the, the miniseries by Dan Jurgens and Lee Weeks that has been running up until this point. Right. You find out that when they came out of Convergence, they actually manifested in the New 52 right around the time that the Justice League was formed. So, you know, five plus years. Well... To them, I think they said it was something like nine years they've been here. So they have a nine-year-old son named John. That's how long they've been living in the New 52 universe. A guy shows up named Mr. Oz. That's probably important. Probably. Mr. Oz appears previously in Jeff Johns' run on Superman. So that was actually something that was established over a year ago, almost. Okay, I wasn't reading at that point. Uh, Yeah, the Jeff Johns, John Romita Jr. Superman run. Okay. So he's more than... He appears and he says, you and your family are not what you believe you are, and neither is the fallen Superman. What does it mean? I don't know, because they believe they are the Superman and Lois from pre-New 52. We'll find out. Okay. There we jump to the beach. The beach. Aquaman and Mira are there. They're having a nice date, and they uh, reminisce about those fun days where Mira tried to kill him. Like, hey, baby, you remember when you tried to murder me? (laughs) Will you marry me? (laughs) Right? That's exactly how I went down with Casey. (laughs) (laughs) So Aquaman proposes, but that's important to note because there was that ridiculous edict some time ago that none of the heroes could be married for reasons that are known only to Dan DiDio. Just what a bunch of hip swinging dicks running around, I guess. (laughs) So we're back to Wally now, and he finds the one person that he think will be his tether to this world so that he can come back to life for real. Mm. And that is his wife, Linda. And he finds her and she doesn't know him at all. It's a bummer. Brutal bummer. Ugh. He gets farted back into the Speed Force. Yep. He just yep. he ricochets back into the Speed Force, and then we get a bunch of little quick scenes as Wally is bouncing from place to place. So we get a little foreshadowing of Tom King's Batman with the new uh, superhero characters that are about to appear. Right. I, I believe they are literally named Gotham and Gotham Girl. Oh, boy. We'll find out about that. I'm New York City, man! <laughs> uh, Constantine and Swamp Thing are there uh, making a making a deal about... Well, no, first, Swamp Thing wants Constantine to bring Abby back. They want, yes. And, Ab- and Constantine says, look, man, you know, as long as you promise to help me with the capes, right. we'll figure something out. I don't know what that means, but... Uh, he specifically says the word against, which is, I think, important. So yeah. I think in the Constantine book, we should... Expect Constantine to be messing with some superheroes, which could be fun. Something. 
And then he sees uh, Cyborg and Captain Boomerang. This is Wally again. We go Wally, back to yes. brief He's shots. He's still bouncing right. around. He sees Cyborg and Captain Boomerang and Dick Grayson holding his Nightwing costume. And then he finds the new Wally West, the new 52 Wally West. Right. Who, in the pages of The Flash, has gained uh, speed powers. Right. This is Black Wally West. Young Black Wally West. The new 52 Wally West. Right. We don't have to keep calling him the Black Wally West. Black Wally West. He's, he's not... Just, he's not Just like Black Nick Fury. <laughs> he's not Black Debbie from C-Lab. <laughs> and Wally witnesses... Red-headed Wally witnesses... White the Wally. new Wally. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> what else are you going to do? How about redheaded Wally and new Wally? Black Wally and white Wally. Anyway. Okay. He witnesses the new Wally being a, uh, acting out as a hero, saving a woman's life. Yes. And he realizes everything's fine. There's a Wally West in this world. And he's going to be the new Kid Flash. Yep. I can let go. It's okay. And so. But before I do. In one last moment, he appears before his uncle, the man who made him into the Flash, Barry Allen, and he says a bunch of stuff about how much he loves and appreciates Barry. He says, you're not going to know who I am, but that's okay. I just wanted to thank you for this amazing life and for everything you did and for teaching me about being a hero. And I'm ready to go now, and this world's in good hands. Thank you, thank you. And he starts to fade away. Oh. <laughs> he starts to fade away so into, into nothingness. And you get these two panels, these long panels stacked on top of each other, that's just a close-up of Barry's eyes. And in the top panel, he's squinting really hard. Like, he's trying to like, remember. Who is this guy? Like, what is going on? What is this? And then in the panel right underneath, his eyes pop open. And there's just a word balloon that says, Wally. <laughs> and he reaches his hand out and grabs Wally and yanks him into the real world. And Wally West is back. He's alive. He's real. He's here for good. He's dressed like Kid Flash. He's dressed like Kid Flash. We don't know why it's not important. Probably just so we can tell him apart. And I swear to God, Matt, I wept. I knew you I were. I wept. I knew you were. I like somewhere I could feel it. Just like a disturbance in the nerd force. Oh, my God. <laughs> I cried. I cried and I cried. All right. Let's get to the meat of the matter. From there, we go All back right. to the So back. essentially, that's the climax. That's right. the end. And so here, then we kind of, as we're fading out, Wally is talking some more uh, he's talking to Barry about what happened to the universe. Right. All the things we've already touched on. He's explaining this to Barry. And Barry's like, are you sure it's not my fault with yeah. the Flashpoint business? He's like, no, no, no. Somebody did this to us. Somebody gave it the push. While they, they saw their opening with the Flashpoint and took advantage of it. Right. We cut to the Batcave where Batman sees something. This part is kind of stupid. Yeah, he's inexplicably picking at the wall. He sees something glinting in the in the right. light in the wall. And he goes to the wall of the Batcave and he picks it out. And he, uh, as Wally's narrating, it ends with the line, we're being watched. And Batman is holding up the comedian's button from the Watchmen. <sighs> there are lots of questions here. Sure. Why would anybody plant that button in the wall of the Batcave? Yeah. And why would Batman just suddenly go, hey. <laughs> After years of living in that stupid cave. Because <laughs> it's not like he was spelunking in, no. a, in an unknown part no. of the cave. He, he was, was just like, like sitting, sitting in his, in his computer. Chair, sort of like spinning around. Like, what the? Hey, no. I never. What? From there, we go to Mars. And we see a conversation that's being held by an unseen figure. But the quote is directly lifted from the yes. end of Watchmen. Yes. Where uh, Ozymandias is speaking to Dr. Manhattan. He doesn't call him Ozymandias, so he calls him Adrian. He calls him Adrian, but we know, I yeah. mean, these lines are from Watchmen, so we know who these people are. Okay, so 
is Dr. Oz Ozymandias. He, he's Mr. Oz, but thank you oh, for me, calling Mr. him Dr. Dr. Oz. Oz. Is Mr. Oz Ozymandias. <laughs> That's what everybody thinks. It's a little on the nose, though, right? It's a little on the nose. Yeah, we'll, we will see. So the implication here is that while the universe was trying to put itself back together after Flashpoint, Dr. Manhattan reached into the goop and f***ed with everybody. Why? I don't know. Yeah, that's just it. Like, if you're going to sell us on this, which I don't think we need Watchmen in DC. I don't either. At all. I, I don't either. It's kind of ridiculous. And it only comes off to me as another way to poke the Alan Moore bear. with. Sure. Like, I'm not mad about it. I don't care. Yeah. It's just, I don't want it. I don't, I don't get need it. it. And Dr. Manhattan's not a bad guy. Watchmen does end with the idea that Dr. Manhattan is going to go out and try to play God somewhere. Right. But he was never a bad guy. But he to just, like lost his grip on humanity to to reach into an existing universe yeah. and like you know what i don't think they need to be married anymore and right. i think this guy should hate this guy yeah and i think i'm gonna turn this little green furry kid into a furry orange kid for no reason whatsoever beast boy unless when we do see dr manhattan his dork is hanging out and he has a mustache and it's dan didio i don't want to see dan didio's dork what? you don't know what he's got down there it could be impressive i don't know <laughs> oh boy the the whole thing i don't know i mean we'll right, see so the, We'll see. The Watchmen stuff, we don't know where it's going to go. Right. It's a long-term story that's going to play out over a couple of years. <sighs> Not in an invasive way, like, you've got to read Aquaman right, number right. 17 to find out what happens next. Well, they say that. Well, that's what they say, right. We'll see what happens. I'm not excited about the Watchmen stuff. No. So that's whatever. What I am excited about, and this is where our review is going to come in. Right. The tone of the DCU. Yeah, just a feel Going it. forward. It felt, this felt like what we loved about early 2000s DC. When they were just going nuts and Jeff Johns was still coming up and they were letting him go crazy and the Flash was still great and Green Lantern was wonderful and Batman was was great. I mean, like, this felt good. Examining the book for what it is, it's an 80-page marketing tool. Right. And to think of it any other way is foolish. But recognizing that and looking ahead to what it sets up, I am excited. If they deliver, great. The art is good in this book throughout. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. For two ninety nine, you can't. It's eighty fight pages this. for two ninety nine. So of course we're giving it a buy it because right. we loved it and we're excited about what's to come. But make no mistake, this isn't a story so much as it is a tool to get you to pick up the next story. Yeah, this is the the new DCU preview book. So or whatever. in that sense, it's probably not great. But for what it gave to me as long term DC fan. I was thrilled by it. I was too. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Yeah, I was I was moved by it. I was thrilled by it. I'm excited by what's ahead. Hopefully they don't drop the ball. Hopefully I don't have to see Dan DiDio's dick. Says you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious, okay? I'm just curious. <laughs> so that is a double buy it for the grueling DC Universe Rebirth number one. Now it's time for you rebirth superheroes and villains to play critics. So head over to thnforums.boards.net and tell us what you thought of this latest rebirth. Well, see you. DC's gone, done it again, and rebooted slash burked their whole damn universe. It's been more than a lot to unpack, but rest assured, we'll probably be doing this again this time next year. So, join us now as Joe and I review ten more of this week's comics while they still count before they get rebirth booted or whatever during the ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed! Go! Disney Magic Kingdom Comics number one from IDW. Here is your chance to check out some of the amazing work that Joe and I constantly sing about without dropping $30 on a trade. 
This is a classic reprint of Carl Barks Disney stories that's centered around the Disney parks and several other artists that filled his shoes after he left. This is just a taste of the magic that Barks brought to the Disney cartoon U that has been missing ever since. If you ask me, I'm giving this a buy it. Ultra Cat, number one from Antarctic Press. Look, I'm a dog person, okay? But I can't deny that my heart melts whenever I see a cute ass kitten. Ultra Cat is ultra cute. Plus, superheroes. So, what's not to love? This book is presented in landscape format as single-page strips, very similar to the old uh, Liberty Meadows or PvP comics. And they follow the adventures of Ultra Cat as he defends the city from his pug arch-nemesis alongside his sidekick Atomic Dog. How does this pug stand up to Thug Pug? Is he, like... He's not anywhere near Thug Pug standards. Uh, Atomic Dog's a well-meaning, oafish dog with no real powers. He's just very enthusiastic. Sure. Creator Jose Fonalosa's comic strips are mostly clever and really well drawn. It's very slight. It's very silly. But I had a fun time reading it, and kids are going to love it. I'm giving Ultra Cat number one, and thus, Antarctic Press. I'll buy it. Look at that. Yeah, good Antarctic job. Press. Yay. Oh, Captain America, Steve Rogers, number one from Marvel. Nick Spencer writes the most offensive Captain America comic ever written, where Cap turns out to be working for Hydra. For like the fourth time, you idiots. But beyond that, the plot twist that set, I don't know four or five people on the internet and then other people saw that they were upset. It's so many of, more than four or five people. I want to get people. on the internet too. You do not understand. It's out of control this what? vile. It's retarded. This was just a fine cap story. I don't. It was just fine. Yeah. I don't love the new costume and I sure miss him throwing the shield but it was nice to see Jack Flag back I guess and Free Spirit. That's kind of fun. I like the cap support team. I don't really remember where Free Spirit came from. From the same storyline as Jack Flag. Okay. From the 90s. While I guess the story of Hydra sort of invading everyone is interesting, I'm only giving this new cap a skimmit, and if you think he's really working for Hydra, you're a f***ing idiot. Two two things about this real quick. The art by Jesus Sayas is stunning. Oh, yeah. It's it's a beautiful. beautiful book. It's beautiful. And the second thing is that Tom Brevoort actually had to come out and do an interview where he said, if they only waited one more month, everything that happens at the end of this issue would be explained. Not to mention the fact that Jack Kirby drew Cap as a Nazi once, and Jack Kirby was Jewish. So do your f***ing homework before you jerk your knees, all right? (laughs) Omega Man, number 12 from DC. Omega Man closes out its year-long story arc, and what an incredible run it's been. Yeah. God, this was good. Writer Tom King has taken us through the horrors of war and rebellion through the eyes of Kyle Rayner. The one-time prisoner turned reluctant freedom fighter. King doesn't flinch from revealing the Omega Man for what they truly are, and for showing that sometimes during war there's only the thinnest line separating the oppressors from the oppressed. You can quote me on that. That's a good line. I wrote it. Oh, you wrote that. I wrote it. I thought you lifted it. No way. Maybe I remember it from something, but I'm pretty sure I came (laughs) up with it. The art by Barnaby Begenda is stunning, and the way he and King pace the story with their rigid grid layouts is storytelling mastery. This is a strong contender for best series of the year and maybe even best single issue. Omega Man number 12 is amazing. Buy it. I'm with you on both of those. Amazing Spider-Man number 1.5 from Marvel. I guess Marvel is done with the classic idea of the limited series, and it's just going with these 1.1, 1.2, I 1. really 1. hate this stories. garbage. It's just dumb. Remember when we used to make fun of manga for shit like this? 
Anyway, Jose Molina writes the story of Spidey running with a gang of mystic Cubans called the Centurions, which is named after a Caribbean voodoo-type religion. And they are investigating the death and rebirth of Julio Manuel Rodriguez, Rodriguez, who has returned as something not human. Not inhuman either, but it's a whole different... Unhuman! It's a whole different enchilada there. Molina's Spidey is nowhere near as lighthearted as Dan Slott's in the pages of Amazing Spidey. And artist Simone Bianchi is now sharing art duties with Andrea Brocardo, and the two don't work well at all. They're both very talented, but the styles are just too different. I love Bianchi's work. He might be better suited for Doctor Strange. And when you inject this much Latino culture suddenly into a Spidey book, it does look like you're trying very hard. Skim it. Scooby Apocalypse, number one from DC. The quote-unquote highly anticipated modern reboot of Scooby-Doo has arrived, and my God, is it boring. Yeah. I anticipated having some choice adjectives to share when this hit the stands, but that was not one of them. We open on Tiny Velma, who we still don't know why she's tiny. Yeah, she might be a midget. Or very young, but they literally... Little person? I apologize. They do not say. They they don't address it at all. Tiny Velma is doing something that the world is probably going to regret in Paris before the story flashes forward to... Burning Man. Cool. Where disgraced TV host Daphne Blake and her cameraman Fred Jones search for a story. Turns out Burning Man is held right on top of a secret research facility preparing for, or planning, the end of the world. Of course it is. And only Velma can stop it, along with the two TV journalists, a hipster dog trainer, and a failed experiment. With a plot like that, you wouldn't think that I'd have to keep checking to see how many pages I had left before I could please God finally be done. But there are pages and pages of exposition stuffing in the overcomplicated plot. Seriously, you guys, Scooby-Doo is like the least complicated concept on the planet. Four goofy friends and their dog solve mysteries. Go. There should be a van. There, oh, yes. There should definitely they be a van. a goddamn van. Sometimes Batman is there. Sometimes Meadowlark Lemon is there. Whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Sandy Duncan. Yeah. Scatman Crothers does all the black people's voices. <laughs> This reimagining takes the characters you know and remolds them into something almost unrecognizable. But I really love this creative team. That has nothing to do with anything. You've got your classic Justice League writers, Keith Given and J.M.D. Mateus on the story, and my beloved Howard Porter on the art. The book looks good. I'm hoping that now that the info dump is out of the way, these creators will have some room to have a little fun in the next issue. You know what? You've got to do it. I was going to be generous. you got to do it. I'm going to, I listen, personally speaking, I'm going to read the next one because I can do so without, without penalty. Okay. But this was not a good issue. It's, I'm giving it a leave it. I thought it sucked. I got to give it a leave it. It was bad. And if the next one's not any better, I will drop this book like a bad habit. I got bad news for you. Oh, by the way, this was Scooby Apocalypse. I forgot that. <laughs> I forgot to mention the name at the end. Afterlife with Archie, number nine from Archie. I caught up on A with A this week, and I've got to tell you. This AWA? Com- this comic is so damn good. Jughead has become Jug Dead, and he's a prisoner of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, who has become the Bride of Cthulhu. The Archie gang has gone full-on walking dead, and they are wandering the country with nowhere safe in sight. This issue focuses on Reggie, whose sociopathic tendencies have become even darker since the zombie apocalypse started. I'm just going to come out and say this. Something I thought I would never say. My name is Matt Baum. I read a monthly Archie comic. Don't worry. You still don't read a monthly Archie comic. <laughs> I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I guess it comes out every six months sometimes. <laughs> Superman 52 from DC. With Rebirth on the horizon, I've pretty much checked out of the new 52 completely. 
But with a new slash old Superman incoming, I had to see how this version of the Man of Steel checks out. This is the final installment of an eight-part story leading up to the quote-unquote death of this Superman. And thanks to DC's marketing, we already have a very decent idea how it all shakes out yeah. without having to read this issue, let alone the previous seven. What's the point? The pre-Flashpoint Superman shows up to lend a helping hand, but it's too late. Nanosuit Supes explodes in a blaze of glory, which will more than likely explain how Lois becomes Superwoman, and the Chinese Superman gets his powers you even see energy from his body, like shooting out, wham, Lois, wham, to China. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> The last 10 or so pages are where the real meat of the story lie as writer Pete Tomasi makes the new 52 Superman more empathetic than he's ever been with acknowledgement to the Greg Pak, Aaron Cooter action yeah, comics. Th- that was good. I liked it. The art by Mikhail Janin is stunning, of course. Because he's badass, that guy. I mean, the book is not bad. Don't get me wrong. It, but it just feels like it's marking time until the Rebirth special hits. Superman 52 gets a skim it. If you've been reading it, if you're curious about how it ends, pick it up. If not, you're not missing anything if you just wait. No. Lobster Johnson, colon, Metal Monsters of Midtown, number one from Dark Horse, Lojo. Mike Mignola and John Arcudi pit the lobster against giant robots attacking Manhattan. But in the usual Mignola fashion, something really weird is going on. Tansi Zanjik is incredible on art with cartoonish Max Fleischer animated style. I've been a big fan of the lobster books in the Magnolaverse, mainly because they're so much different they're from Hellboy or BPRD. The tone is lighter and fun and very Golden Age feeling. Once again, Lobster Johnson gets a huge buy it! Nighthawk, number one from Marvel. I've been pretty critical about Marvel's insistence on putting out solo titles for every D-list character in their stable, whether they merit one or not. Looking at you, Star Brandon Nightmask. But this is the first one in a while that I actually enjoyed. It helps that Shaft writer David Walker is on board alongside artist Ramon Villalobos, who is a goddamn dynamo. So good. Plus, it's got striking colors by Tamara, and I apologize in advance for getting this wrong, Bond villain, or Bon Villon. Bon Villon. I call her Tamara Bond villain. And covers by Denny Cowan and Bill Sienkiewicz. Marvel's alternate reality Batman homage is in the 616, or whatever we're calling it now, to stay, and I think he's a good fit. Nighthawk number one gets a buy it. That is your ludicrous speed round, and plop is the onomatopoeia of the week and the sound of a tornado dropping Uncle Scrooge's steamboat, the Dilly Dollar, in front of those meddling Beagle Boys ship, the River Witch, as seen in Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom Comics, number one. Now, if you want even more reviews of this week's comics, head over to the TwoHeadedNerd.com. Just TwoHeadedNerd. Don't put the the on there. Stop saying the TwoHeadedNerd.com. And check out the infamous Dollar Bin Raider, Aaron Myers, ludicrous speed reviews. Matt, Matt, get in here, it's finished! What? What do you mean? By, what, what? By the rock of eternity, what have you done, man? I've completed my masterpiece, our own personal altar to worship in the greatness that is the nude, blue, bejeweled mutant messiah, Jennifer Mystique Lawrence! You know, you could have just saved a lot of time and melted action figures and X-Men movie cardboard stand-ups and just downloaded J-Law's nudie pics if you wanted to get your rocks off. I mean, That's not what this is about, you pervert! Now kneel and pray with me. Pray for a world where mutants can walk nude through the streets without fear of retribution. Okay. All right. First of all, does your wife know about this? And second, this is getting a little weird. What do you say? She's into it. <laughs> what do you say we tell the kids about the comics? We're excited to read next week. Then we can uh, talk about your newfound mutant nudist religion. Fine, fine. Next week, 
I mean, I don't even know if this is really my pick, but I've chosen <laughs> Superman Rebirth number one from DC Comics, written by Pete Tomasi with art by Doug Monkey. It's has 32 pages for $2.99. Here's your solicit. The world needs a man of steel, but can Superman protect the world while raising a super son with his wife, Lois Lane? Sounds like a pain in the ass. I know. Now it's Clark's turn to be Pa Kent and teach his son what it means to be super, but who? is hunting Superman's son, and why? We just got done saying that we were excited about Rebirth. I don't know why I'm so hesitant about it. I just, I'm nervous to see how I, things develop. I get it, man. I totally get it. But Pete Tomasi is great. Yeah. Doug Mankey is great. Oh, yeah. This is my classic Superman. He's married to Lois. They got a kid. It, I, if nothing else, I, it will have a tone that I It'll appreciate. feel like Superman again. Right. So, we will see. The Green Arrow one also comes out. Yeah. Yeah. That goatee is there. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> Matt, what's your pick? Well, I'm waiting for that crap to shake out. So instead, I went with 4001 AD number two. I didn't get to mention number one, so I'm bringing up number two here. From Valiant, this is written by Matt Kent with art by Clayton Crane. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. The most ambitious comics event of 2016 brings war to the 41st century with Rai leading the charge. Rai is smashing headfirst into New Japan with his team of hardened rebels, including the Eternal Warrior and a giant XO Manowar mecha armor that's been dormant for centuries. But when Father transforms New Japan into an impenetrable space dragon, woo, as a defense of last resort... What hopes will the United Heroes of 4001 AD have of freeing the citizens of New Japan from Father's brutal reign? I think you could have just stopped there. That was total uh, nonsense. You know. Here's the thing. 4001 is so damn good. This is Matt Kent going crazy in the future of the Valiant Universe, doing literally anything he wants. It is beautifully drawn by Clayton Crane, who is doing some of the best work of his life. Go pick up number one. You're not going to be lost. Do it. You'll love it. The THN Trade of the Week goes to the Shang-Chi Master of Kung Fu Omnibus Volume 1 hardcover from Marvel Comics. Written and drawn by Various. We're big fans. I'm all right with Various. <laughs> it's hit and miss. Yeah, I'm all right. It's work is really hit 60, 40, you know. It's 696 pages for 125 smackers. It's an omnibus. That's how much they cost. It's big and thick. It's huge. And heavy as hell. It's going to look right on my shelf. Here's your solicit. One of the most groundbreaking Marvel comics of all is collected for the first time. Born to be the world's most fearsome fighter, Shang-Chi's life takes a major turn when he discovers the truth about his father, the villainous Fu Manchu. I guess we worked out all that legal stuff. I guess. So begins the epic story of the master of Kung Fu. On a quest to end the reign of his pernicious patriarch, Shang-Chi pits his deadly hands and furious feet. There's a lot of puh puh puh. I know. Against incredible foes like Tiger Claw, Razor Fist, the mysterious Midnight, and even the Macabre Man-Thing. Macabre. Macabre Man-Thing. But will his mastery of martial arts be enough in a throwdown with the amazing Spider-Man? Uh, spoiler alert, yes. Yeah, it collect- <laughs> Look, this collects a bunch of stuff from the 70s, Marvel Edition, Master of Kung Fu, Giant Size Master of Kung Fu, Giant Size Spider-Man, and Iron Man Annual. It's a ton of crap. Right. He's probably going to be in the Iron Fist show. He is going to be in the Iron Fist show. Hey. And I think he's going to end up appearing in Daredevil Season 3. I think we're going to meet him there first or something. But I don't know. It's all rumors. Fingers we don't crossed. know. Fingers crossed. We don't know. After talking about next week's comics, I have to admit, I'm feeling better. I'm, I'm glad you said it that. I'm feeling a little better. 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 You're right, Matt. We're not mutants. No, we're not. And neither is Jennifer Lawrence. No. 
But we do have one thing in common. What's that? We enjoy our naked time oh. and don't mind sending our nudie pics to our friends. Too soon. Thought we agreed that uh, you were done with that, too. Baby steps, buddy. <laughs> Baby steps. Disclaimer, what happened to Jennifer Lawrence was a gross violation and we do not get down at the end. Now, while Matt helps me carry this hunk of molten mystique slag out to the Mole Man's Caverns, why don't you nerds head over to the THN forums and tell us what you're excited to read next week. We don't condone littering either, but f*** those guys. <laughs> while nerds like Joe and I have gone all digital to avoid a nasty divorce scenario, some of you may have more understanding life partners who put up with piles of funny books. Those of you still fighting in the paperback trenches, listen up. Because our man, the Oracle of the Frigid Northeast, the Orca, is going to tell you how to beat the speculators at their own game in a segment he likes to call Take the Money and Run. You never met a D you didn't like, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Hello, nerds. Orca here for another episode of Take the Money and Run. Where I tell you what comic books are selling way too high for any funny book. And if you have them stashed away, you can dig them out and sell them. Well, that's what I usually do. This month's going to be a little different. See, the orc are going to sell comics because I like cash. And sometimes there are opportunities to just pay me more than my little eBay business. This month has been one of those months because it's fiddlehead season here in Maine. I don't know if fiddleheads are something they do everywhere. Nope. But here in Maine, for two weeks, you can go cutting fiddleheads, which are really just baby ferns that ain't bloomed yet. And you can sell them for good cash. We eat them. And if you put a little vinegar on them, they taste better than supermodels. They grow in the wild, so if you know where to find them, it's literally like picking money up off the ground. They cost nothing but your time. Bottom line is this. I'm a bit out of touch with the recent market. I have a few ideas, but really I thought I'd use this as an opportunity to elaborate on my methods. Especially a crucial part of the business, my annual purge. When I say annual purge, it's not what you think. It ain't like Joseph missing most of this week's episode for his annual colonics treatment, or like what Matthew does after a big meal to maintain his girlish figure. Hey! Talking about how to get rid of comics en masse, boxes at a time. I got a good method to do this I want to share with you. And as opposed to selling first appearances or hot covers like usual, this is turning the into your collection into cash. Stay with me, though. I'm about to get all brainy on you. First, organizing. You don't have to be all Dewey Decil little system here. But after you're done reading your books, seal them up in the traditional bags and boards and sort them into three piles. Pile one is comics you think you'll keep forever. Your Hall of Fame. For example, anything by Darwin Cook. I put about 10% of the stuff I read in pile number one. Usually, the defining trait is that I know I want to read it again. Pile number two is stuff that I could see maybe jumping up in price someday for some yet unknown reason. Number ones, any first appearances, characters that have a solid fan base like Batman or Hellboy or Spidey, any cool covers go in this pile, almost all my image stuff, complete runs, stories I plan on buying the next issue of, etc. This is the bulk. Probably 80% of what I buy goes in pile number two. Pile number three is the bottom 10%. Stuff I wish I hadn't bought. Random issues, old 90s stuff that I bought at a local flea market. You know, the garbage. Hawkman, volume four, number 11. 
Power Man number 25. Three issues of a Ben Grimm miniseries. Anything from Comico that I bought because the boobies. Avatar. Believe it or not, you can get value out of this. Once per year, I take a look at pile number three. First, I add it up. Pick up the recent Overstreet from your local library, borrow one from a friend, or even buy it if you like reading it, then run a quick total. Keep that figure. Now, take a few comic books that have gotten hot and cooled off that you didn't have time to put on eBay. Comic book retailers are usually a few weeks behind. They know what was good, but usually feel that comics don't drop in value the way we know they do. A few Deadpool comics, maybe some Civil War, yesterday's news. Sprinkle them in the front of the box to make them think you're selling your whole collection and that there might be some gems in there. Don't forget to add these to your running overstreet total. Usually, they don't want to go through the whole thing, so they'll estimate based on the first 50 books or so. Now here's the key. If they offer you more than 25% of the value, take it. Only as cash though, not store credit, unless I guess if it's your regular shop, it's okay. As long as you don't have to spend it all that day. Up to you. Usually, I shoot for $100 cash per long box as a rule of thumb. Keep in mind, this is your trash. But if they offer you less than 25%, tell them, no thanks, I can do better, and walk out. Maybe they up their offer, but if they don't, just take your books home, because we've got bigger plans. I'd love to get a former manager of a comic shop's opinion. Maybe Joe is rested up enough after his butt suction to give us a shop's take on this. Look, it's very taxing. Well, as a former manager of a comic book store, I feel like the $100 number for a long box of comics... Seems crazy. Seems uh, optimistic. Yeah, optimistic. At least here in Omaha... Where competition is fierce. I'm going to tell you, there's there has been times, and you and I, we have paid 100 bucks for a box comic. Sure. But it was pretty stellar Right. Stuff. I mean, if the box is, as you say, a few good things in here sprinkled in the front, and then mostly garbage. I'd as say you, a savvy retailer is not going to fall for I mean, any retailer that doesn't look through the entire box and judge what it's going to be worth in time and money to process those books. Right. There's no way a hundred bucks is going to get the job done because they've either got to do that shit themselves or pay somebody to do it. Right. And that sucks. Thanks, buddy. Now, if they won't buy your books, here's where we get clever. Call your local boys and girls club. Call Goodwill. Any licensed charity. Ask them if they'll take the books. Keep in mind, with any kids organization, you got to take out the R-rated books. According to the IRS... If you itemize deductions on your taxes, I know that's a big if, since many of you probably live in your mom's basement. But if you do, you can deduct these as a charitable donation. Under the current tax code, covered in Topic 506, you can deduct the amount that exceeds the fair market value of benefits received, in this case zero since you're giving it away, of any property including collections donated to qualified organizations. That's your entire running overstreet total. You need a receipt describing the donation, and if audited, you need to be able to reference which price guide you use to value the donation. But a deduction like this can be, become a big help come tax time. 
If you're in the 25% federal bracket, like 80% of all Americans, then you just save the same amount on your taxes that we used as the minimum when we were trying to sell them to the comic shop. Plus, you did a nice thing and spread the joy of comics. A couple of notes on this. You can only deduct it up to something like 15% of your total income for charitable contributions. If it's more than $500 worth of comics in one year, you'll have to file Form 8283, Section A. If your total is over $5,000, you need to have it professionally appraised, which usually takes a big chunk out of your tax savings. That's for those rich pricks that donate Picassos and Plus, if 10% of your annual comic purchases, you know, pile number three, exceeds $5,000, then you're spending way too much on comics. So to recap, either way, looking at you, Aaron, Myers. whether you sold them as a lot to a comic shop or if you've given them away to charity, you've just gotten rid of all your comics. And whether it's cash in your pocket now or a bigger refund in April, you now have more money and more room to start this circle of life all over again. Oh, a few quick ideas on what to start selling. Anything booster gold. Number one, sell them for like $45. Irredeemable got optioned. Sell number one now. Probably won't get made. Any valuable Punisher on the news of his Netflix series. Finally, keep an eye out for lock and key number one. Sell for big money. Till next month. Kiss, kiss, nerds. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the most of episode of THN ever. If you dig podcasts that routinely receive death threats for inflammatory speech against vampires, robots, furries, and bronies, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts, because that is what connects us to other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors, but especially our most recent donor, King of the THN Forums, Brian Domingos. Self-pronounced king. <laughs> no way, dude. I'll take it. Okay. King of the THN all right, Forums. All right. You keep the giant wooden doors to the ziggurat reinforced to keep out all of the very concerned internet citizens. I'm not reading what Matt wrote. It's inflammatory. Social justice warriors. Oh, come on. <laughs> If you want to help support THN, you can do so. You know there's nothing wrong with social justice, right? No, real social justice. Not right. point, click, and I'm mad. You can do so by <laughs> clicking our PayPal button at 2 And with discourse like this, why wouldn't you want to, Come on. to become a sustaining member? Simply check the Make This Donation Monthly box when you donate. Remember, as little as a buck a month really does help us. And if you're interested in sponsoring THN... Hit us up with an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. If you want to scream at us personally, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com. You're going to find links to all of our social info via Periscope. We're on it right now. Twitter, we're always on that crap. YouTube, where we post our movie reviews for our Nerd at the Movies segment. Facebook, which, uh, yeah, you know, everybody loves Facebook. Come on. Tumblr, that's where we post the outtake of the week. And most importantly, the Ziggurat Hotline. That number is 402-819-4894. Use it to answer the question of the week. But you can also use it to be part of any of our segments. Or just to say hi. Yeah, or just call and say hey. It's been a while since we got a call from Anthony from Brooklyn. I'm just saying. I miss that guy. I don't know how he, what he's thinking about or how he's feeling or if he's mad at us. I know. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. 
Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Chase Magnet, who got engaged to his girlfriend, Alex, last weekend. And this weekend, he had a damn birthday. What? Where is he? He's just double-teaming it this month. Where do you love birds? It's about damn time you stop living in sin. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, or your retailer just might leave you crying at the altar. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.